We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues and hosts, incredible guests, listeners, Count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. I promise you, I absolutely feel incredible right now. And, um... Part of the reason why I feel so good is because the work that we do is hard and, and I don't suggest it in competition with the work that anyone else is doing. I just know that the work of people building is sometimes challenging. The work of people building is challenging, especially when it's being done in the face of so much resistance. And so I feel good today, really, really good today, Jay, because I had two coaching calls um, earlier in the week. And on both of those coaching calls, the uh, executives were emotional, vulnerable, present. And in one instance, it was because they finally were able, they got a breakthrough. They saw how they had been harming others in their business unintentionally. And in the other, it's because I saw something in them. And both of those scenarios on the same day, that vulnerability, it just really, um, it reinforces why we do what it is and why I continue to wake up with that 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 battery in my backpack like we're going to get it done. Yep. We're going to get it done. So I feel great. How are you feeling? Um well, those are the days I I definitely live for. I wish I could say I've had as equally as uh wonderful week as you. However, it's been a little rough here in paradise for me. Um, I did uh, get to experience the full Portuguese healthcare system. Um, as you know, I'm, I'm a little klutzy. Uh, my ADD and my in general lack of coordination really results in usually funny stories. This one, not so funny. Uh, I was on my way to dinner last week and decided that this brick would let lay me out on the ground. And, uh, <laughs> I busted my elbow pretty bad. Long story, blah, blah, blah. So, so fast, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes. Uh, so a, a, a brick fell like from a building, oh. like some several feet up <laughs> from several feet up. Now that would be a better story. No, the brick was on the ground and I tripped over it and landed oh. on the ground. <laughs> very quickly in the water in a puddle it was really spectacularly awesome yes so and you know someone has it on camera oh god i hope not and my husband's okay like, oh, i'm just, I'm just I saying there was taking somebody. a picture of you laying on the ground <laughs> <laughs> he did not i think um 
So anyway, uh, fast forward, uh, I waited a couple of days and then finally had to go into the healthcare center here in Portugal in the Algarve. And um, in an hour and 15 minutes, I saw a doctor, had some x-rays, had pr some prescriptions, found out that I uh, have at least partially, if not fully ruptured a ligament in my elbow. And here's the cool thing of this story is it cost me zero dollars and zero euros to have that uh, positive socialized medical experience. So wait a minute. Is that that because you don't carry Portuguese ID at this point, right? Yes, that is correct. Y yes, as in, no, you do not have anything like with a, with a Portugal address on it that you are a citizen of any sort. That you or a family member were born in the country. Yeah. I you, you don't have any of that. Showed up with my American passport and gave them my Airbnb address and, um, you know, did the whole thing. And when I left, I was like, hey, where do I pay you? And uh, they're like, mm, you don't pay us. You don't have a bill. There's nothing to pay for. And I was like, so, but I would so like to pay you. <laughs> Yeah. So let's stay there for just a second. So, I mean, how does that system work? I mean, is it you, 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 you slid it in socialized healthcare system. So undergirded funded just by the government. And, and if, if, if that's the case, do they do taxes and taxation the same way that we do here uh, in the States? So taxes are higher here. Um, but if you are, you know, and I, and I think it's probably fairly rare because not a lot of Americans come to Portugal, um, at least at this point. So everyone else has, for the most part, uh, an EU health healthcare card. And so they're going to either be covered by Portuguese insurance or they're going to be covered by their home country's insurance because Europe has socialized medicine. And this dumb American who fell when a, a brick beat me, um, was able to get healthcare and um, do it for free because that's how socialized medicine works here. Now, when I do live here and I do have that income and all of those things, I will pay into the system. Um, and there are public and private, you know, um, clinics and those kind of things. I found one that uh, cared for foreigners um, and and went in and had an amazing experience. Had a, a a great doctor and a very nice x-ray technicians, the whole thing. And I think what probably like stood out to me the most, um, just to be serious for a second, is I put off going because I knew I didn't have insurance here. I have insurance at home, but I didn't have it here this time, which I usually carry. And I felt so scared because I kept thinking, God, they're going to be mean to me. They're going to shame me. They're going to, you know, and, and I realized as a, as an American, how programmed I am to think that access to healthcare is not my right and that I should be ashamed of not having, um, full coverage and how nervous that made me. Um, and I think of all the immigrants who come into our country and need medical care, need access to it, and, are, and, and Americans, frankly, who are bankrupted every single year by our lack of um, ability to provide that basic right for, for our citizens and for the people who, who frankly, live in and, and pay taxes and do a lot of things in our country that are important. And, and I'd never had felt that way before. And it really kind of 
took me aback for a minute. I really had to sit and ponder like how different it is here when it comes to those things. Well, did you go back to the brick and have a conversation with uh, the brick on how you you had this breakthrough moment, how you, you know, you were feeling program? Did you talk to the brick or are you hoping that somebody listening uh, might share the pod with the brick so that the brick <laughs> understands the role that they got to play in this, uh, you know, this new awakening for you in Portugal? So I did thank the Brick because I went you a did. couple days later and said, hey, Brick, yeah. thanks for giving me that full Portuguese experience. If we could That's not right. do it again, um, right. I would be happy to not do it again. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and, and, and speaking of things that don't make us happy, uh, I got to tell you, first of all, I'm glad that you are uh, on the way of healing. Um, you. you know, and I'm, I'm also smiling and I needed a good story like that because, you know, it, it has in some ways while, you know, Today, I'm feeling great, you know, also in the beginning of the week, you know, I'm just dealing with family um, uh, deaths from, you know, just natural causes, age. I'm dealing with friends, a couple of friends who are experiencing some things. And so certainly there are those, um, I, I don't want to call them dark spots, but certainly challenging spots. Um, but I will tell you one thing that gets on my nerves. Uh, I was actually... Uh, pumping gas um in the, the buggy you know i named mine harriet I, I don't know if you harriet i don't know if your vehicle has a name all, all of my all of my vehicles have have a name so i was putting gas in harriet and you know guy pulls up and he's in a minivan and i'm like okay well i'm expecting you know you to get out because if you're in a minivan that suggests to me that you have children and, you know, there are these big signs at the gas pump that say, turn off engine, don't smoke. There, there's a couple of things that you are encouraged to do. The uh, uh, big semi was refilling the fuel tanks. So we got that going on. We got Mr. In the minivan who hops out and just starts to pump gas. And so he's looking at me as I'm looking at him and I'm like, you don't, you don't, you don't think it's smart for you to turn off your vehicle. And so then my man is like, well, you know, it's my vehicle. Okay. You trying to flex a little bit. Yeah. It's your vehicle. I see you, but why do you pump gas? So now I'm doing all this with a mask on, you know, and I'm one of the only people at the gas pump with a mask in. And, 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 and Jay, I pump my gas like Michael Jackson. I <laughs> hop out, you know, you know, the real cheap uh, blue mask. So I got the real cheap blue disposable mask in the door. And I got those blue latex gloves that they have at the doctor's office. And I throw one of them joints on. That's the only thing that touches the pump. So I pump my gas like Michael Jackson. So, you know, I'm trying, I'm like, listen, man, I ain't really trying to flex on you, but I'm just saying, why do you pump gas into a running vehicle? Like, where are you in that much of a hurry to get to that you are willing to put you, your children, and all of us in danger? So then he paused for a moment. He ain't had nothing to say. So then he just kind of like went on, turned around and just kind of mind his business. He didn't say nothing else after that. But that is really a pet peeve of mine. Like we are in that much of a hurry that we can't turn off the engine of a vehicle, 
follow the rule, three minutes tops, hop back in and get on about your business. So I'm hoping that anyone out there, if you are a person who is accustomed to being a pet peeve for other people, kind of reconfigure how you show up. Like we need people to just show up a little bit differently. We are all stressing over something. Show up a little bit differently. I know you got a pet peeve. Oh, you know I do. Probably 10. Just one. (laughs) Okay, just one. So seriously, my number one pet peeve in life is when we're like in a decision making, like buying a house, opening a mortgage, um, buying a car, anything like that. And the person who is selling us something or doing whatever the hell they're doing talks to Chad and not to me. That has been my number one pet peeve in life for probably my entire life. I'm like, hey, I'm I'm buying here too. What are we doing? <laughs> you know, and why do you think they do that? I mean, do you is it because when you're in that buying this? Well, you know what? I heard what you just said. Buying decision. So this has nothing to do with HR. This is major purchases for the home, Home Depot, or you're saying they look at Chad, talk to Chad first. Um, I don't know. I think I'm trying to think. Well, first of all, see, mine is a little bit different because Nick and I don't go to too many places together. That's in part because. I'm just going to, hopefully she ain't listening, but you know, she is the one who likes to spend a great deal of time navigating all of the aisles of a store, looking at all of the items on the various shelves. I'm the person who's like, I'm going to the store for this reason. So I'm trying to make a beeline for that reason so I can get out. I don't like to spend a lot of time in the store. Whether it be a Home Depot or a clothing store or something, any, anything in between. I like, even if I'm like looking for an automobile, I'm like, I know what I want before I go and I'm out of there. So I don't know if, if I'm a good example um, because we really don't go to places at the same time. She, she just takes too long for me. So I don't know why they're talking to Chad. Maybe because they, you know, they see that, that, that knot in the back of his pocket. <laughs> And they're like, you know, that's the dude that's pro- that's the person that's probably going to handle the payment. I, I don't know. Is that is yeah. that what it is? Well, you said it perfectly. It's the dude that it, it's it simply comes down to the phallus. Like he's a man. He's a decision maker. Such as such it is. It is. You just told us another one of your pet peeves and it's window shopping, straggling yeah. and shopping. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I ain't no shopping, dude. I, I, I know what I want. Like I. I order online a lot. Um, I don't go to stores that often. I have a tailor and I have a boutique that I go to. So I I pretty much only buy from like these two places publicly, maybe one, two other stores. So I really am not a dude that does a whole lot of like shopping and spending time in stores. Um, Yeah, I just I I, I, I don't I don't like that environment. So let me ask you one of my other biggest pet peeves. And as much as you and I travel, I want to know, how do you feel about bare feet on airplanes? I think that's some nasty shit. (laughs) 
It is some nasty shit. You know, you see those motherfuckers up there going to the bathroom with no shoes on, no socks yeah. either. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. I think that's. Let me tell you, and let me and let me tell you why I think that's some nasty shit. And this is this is no exact. This is no exaggeration. So first of all, as men, when I go into our bathrooms, I just I always look down on the floor and I really really ask myself like I wish I wish we had iridescent lighting. You know, kind of like that blue light that would show you, you know, uh, spots, drips on the floor. So you kind of knew where to walk and where to step. So, you know, without getting all that graphic, I just I hate my shoes being in a men's bathroom. And so I imagine 50 percent of people. 60 percent of people are using bathrooms, then getting on the plane. So automatically that's a problem for me. And so to be on a plane with no shoes on, with no socks on, yo, to be on a plane with slides on is a problem for me. <laughs> but at least, at least with slides, you know, you have something hard under your foot. Yo, that is an absolute nightmare for me. And when I see people and occasionally, not often, Jay, but occasionally when I see that, I'm looking at them with all types of side eye. Like, I know you nasty. Your uh, baseboards in your house is probably filthy and dirty. You probably allow your cat on top of the counter when you're cooking. Um, all types of questionable stuff. Nah, I don't do it. And let me tell you, if I go to a person's house and I see their animal on top of the kitchen counter, you ain't got to offer me nothing. <laughs> and I love animals. I love animals. I'm telling you, I love animals. But if your pet is on the kitchen counter, I'm, I'm going to be real, real slow to put a fork in my mouth up in your house. So I think we can just wrap up the show right now. A full list of Torn's pet peeves. <laughs> On full display for our crazy and the king audience. <laughs> no, let me tell you. No, let me tell you. I got I got more since you're talking about bare feet on the plane. So there's a story actually. Um, there's a story about a pilot. Let me read you the, the the headline. It says a pilot who lied about his flying experience to secure a job with British Airways was said to have been caught when he pressed a button that no qualified pilot would press. This dude actually falsified more than 1600 hours training certification hours can you imagine being on a plane with a guy who has falsified flight time no i mean like this like story literally like gave i'm just like sweating and kind of pulling on my shirt when i was reading it because i'm i probably never told you this but 10 years ago i was so afraid to fly that you had to like drug me to get me on a plane. It was like a Xanax and a double screwdriver to get on the plane, period. And I'm talking like a short haul flight to Atlanta or something like, you know, that little 30 minute jumper. Whew. Yeah, this guy. So he falsified 1600 hours of flying time and training certifications and got a job at one of the biggest airlines in the world, British Airways. How does that happen? And let me tell you, that caused me pause because I purchased my ticket this week for Wreckfest. 
Oh. And and what airline am I flying on from the States? British Airways. Mm-mm. Now, again, they go into the story. First of all, it was a smaller airline. It was a subsidiary of British Airways. They said that no, no passengers were in danger ever. Uh, so apparently this guy is a certified pilot, but he still falsified some of his training and experience and time, um, I guess, in the cockpit, if you will. But it caused me a bit of pause when I purchased. And by the way, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I purchased my first first class. I'm sorry. First business class trip ever. Ever. I've never, ever purchased a business. And I said, you know what? This time. I'm going to just treat myself when I go over. Yeah. I, but then I read this story and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, you're, you're going to need said, all the I champagne. Said, <laughs> I said, you know, I mean, you guys going to do a whole lot more than just kind of like give me a fluffy pillow and a blanket. We're going to need to make sure we're going to have to ask some questions about some people's qualifications. Um, so I don't know why we missed this, because I know we talked a little bit about Los Angeles. Not not so much so Los Angeles, Julie, but we did talk about California when they passed that uh, that law a couple of years ago around corporate boards having to be diversified. And, and I don't even know why we didn't project it, because I actually went back and did some listening, and neither one of us said that we thought that it would be struck down. You know, we were absolutely in affirmation. We were in agreement with it. And this is a little bit different than, you know, when the prior administration came up with the whole no, um, um, you know, like diversity training in federal spaces. And we said, trust me, corporations are going to latch on. We missed this one. We missed it. And LA, Los Angeles is like, Nah, that whole corporate boards need to be diverse. That ain't really constitutional. So they struck it down. Yeah. Um, and so what passed in what, 2020 um, said that California companies where their main office was in California, at least one member of the board had to be Asian, Black, Latino, LGBTQ, Native American, or Pacific Islanders by the end of 2021 by either filling a vacancy or creating a new one. And I agree. I actually, I remember when this popped out and thinking that is certainly going to get challenged in the court and California is known to do that. But I kind of thought it, I thought it would take a lot longer than 2022 to get that challenge. Um, So it it did move fairly quickly and, you know, Los Angeles court is going to be a lower state court. So it didn't even take that long to get overturned. I'm not sure how I understand that it's unconstitutional because it's it's private companies who are making that requirement. So I, I don't I don't quite understand the ruling, but I'm not a constitutional lawyer either. Yeah, no, neither am I. And there actually was a diversity on boards report issued by the Secretary of the State. And what they found was that 300 out of 700 corporations had complied. 300 out of 700 corporations had complied. But what the report also goes on to say is a very, very large number chose not to respond. Mm. 
So when the questionnaire or survey or the query hit, you know, their organization's email, they just went deaf on them. They went blank and ghosted them and didn't even contribute. So I'm assuming that there's probably, I don't know, I think that the numbers are a little bit worse than what we are looking at right here. Yeah. um, And I I popped into the report you put into our show notes and I did notice, well, of course, notice before this that, of course, disability is not required. No, no people with disabilities representation is required. So same old bullshit, different story there. Um, But I was also surprised by the lack of success of the they have a separate law that's around female board member requirements. And of those that reported, roughly half had met that requirement versus the 300-ish um, that had met the other underrepresented communities requirement. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and our last story, you know, up top is, it's a fun one. You know, we started the show a little bit fun, and I wanted to kind of end the segment a bit fun. Are you familiar with PFLAG? Oh, yes. Yep. I am a member in Columbus. All right. Awesome. So uh, Oreo and PFLAG um, continue their uh, partnership. And this was cool for me because I actually thought when I saw this video um, this this week, earlier this week, I actually thought it was something new. But then I dug in a little bit and they've been doing and releasing these videos in this relationship since I want to say June of 2020. The partnership actually kicked off almost two years ago at this point. And Again, I missed it, but I thought that this was a wonderful short film release by um, Alice Wu. It's called The Note. Yep. I I watched it. I swear to God, those videos get me every time. As you know, I am a proud parent and a lifelong ally to my uh, baby boy. And uh, this one especially struck home as I know that he has suffered um, from not being accepted by some of our family. And this is really what that one is related to. And I know how impactful that is for a a young man, um, a young person who is um, in the LGBTQI community. So I applaud Oreo. I think it's fantastic and and will share the video widely. Again, it's called The Note. You can find it uh, out on Twitter. And if you'd like to get some more information on what PFLAG is doing, you can use the hashtag ProudParent, or you can also use the hashtag LifelongAlly. And again, it'll take you to a number of posts that include PFLAG and Oreo and the work that they are doing. That'll do it for Jay and I this week. Small talk, quick commercial break, and I promise we'll be right back. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. This week in a flash, black Californians who can prove a direct lineage to enslaved ancestors will be eligible for reparations. This first in the nation ruling was agreed to last week by the state's reparations task force. Let's see how this unfolds. And apparently the smell of good home cooking and tenacious patience netted some current and former Amazonians the right to organize. Not nationwide, but 
up at JFK 8 for now, led by Derek Palmer and Christian Smalls. They led the effort. They even set up some signs that said, free free weed and food. I promise I'm not making this up. The funniest thing that you might hear this week is that all male boards at publicly traded companies have been nearly eradicated in U.S. private companies. That was a little bit of a tongue twister. But it's funny because in 2021, women held 14% of board seats, up from 11%, while women of color had just 3% in U.S. private companies. Some might say that's a free market thing. I'm willing to bet that it is an absolute intentional representation thing. Kind of connects to the story about California. And speaking of women, they now count towards the Rooney rule in the NFL. Now, I don't know if you can see a side eye in my voice, but just know that I got a side eye in my voice. So, um, a little bit of a history lesson that we put together for our listeners this week. So, and- I do have a bag of popcorn. Should I take that? Uh, should I get this popcorn? Because you're about to take them on a little journey. Because, you know, there's some folks out there that see Crazy and the King. This episode could fall in the hands of a person who's anti-CRT. And there might be this petition started to get Crazy and the King pulled from the various podcast distribution platforms. You know, sometimes, Julie, that's when we pray for the negative to happen. Like, I really would love for someone to listen, raise a ruckus, and want to have our podcast pulled from the listening platforms. But you go ahead, right on ahead and continue. Yeah, uh, and and as long as you don't eat that popcorn with your mouth open, I think we'll be fine. Um, (laughs) So I I think that, you know, we had some pretty important things that are happening and have happened in the last week or so in the United States. And as a white person, um, I have to kind of take that moment and remind myself why it's so important that we recognize these moments of progress and remind myself that progress is also really fucking slow and savor those wins. Um, like you talked about earlier, a little more every single day. And the other thing that I think is critically important for us to all remember is that when we go down these little um, rabbit holes in history lessons, that history is really not that long ago. It, it is really recent um, in our lives and in the history of this country that we had and continue to have bad acts of, of by racist players um, throughout our our history. So I thought I'd pull together a little, just a little history um, as we walk through um, and then celebrate a couple of good things that we know are happening in 2022. So I saw a a incredible thread, and this is really what got me on this story, is um, on Twitter, African Archives. African Archives is a repository of African and Black history, and they shared the story from 1904 of Adabinga, a married father of two from the Congo who was kidnapped from his village and taken hostage by slavers who were in the rubber trade. And during this time on the other side of the world, a man named Samuel Werner was planning exhibits for the 1904 World's Fair. 
And his exhibit was showing the progress of mankind. And I've got air quotes there. And with the permission of King Leopold of Belgium, who had colonized and, and owned the Congo at that time, and with a hefty budget, Samuel Werner sailed to the Congo to purchase specimens for the exhibit he called the Human Zoo. After the fair, where the members of the Human Zoo were paraded around, abused, and made to put on acts depicting them as cannibals and warriors, which they were not, um, what, what do you do with a, a human being that you have kidnapped, um, enslaved, and now no longer have a use for? Well, in Otta's case, he was put on display at the Bronx Zoo. Otta was encaged and put on permanent exhibit, portrayed as a cannibal and a savage. Uh, in fact, they threw bones and carcasses into his exhibit area uh, to portray him as a cannibal, which he was not. And in 1916, Otta Binga stole a revolver from a security guard and committed suicide in the Bronx Zoo. Um, let me just um, let me just jump in for for a moment, and and I don't want to I don't want to interrupt your cadence, your contribution, your frequency in any way, except for to say, as much as I know about the history of slavery, as much as I yearn to learn even more about not only the history of slavery, but the Holocaust and so many other events that are happening. Um, I never get to walk away or I rarely get to walk away feeling unmoved by what it is that I'm experiencing. So as I'm listening to you and I'm looking at these images in this thread, maimed, mutilated, looking at the context of the word, and this is not something that I knew. So I'm really digesting it as you are talking. I rarely walk away from these experiences unmoved in some way. I am always, always um, emotionally attached to these stories. Continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I, I'm not doing it full justice. Go read the full thread over at African Archives, including the, the visuals. It's stunning. So we fast forward from 1916 to 1955, a story that we are all probably familiar with, uh, the murder, the abduction, torture, and murder of Emmett Till in the state of Alabama, um, a teenager at the time, 14 years old, who uh, was accused of whistling at a white woman and who became the face of the civil rights movement after his mother required um, an open casket so they could see what was done to her boy. So let's hear from Emmett Till's cousin, who was with him the night he was abducted. Yes, um, it's kind of hard to 
understand what it was like in Mississippi at that time, if you didn't live there and experience it, it just seemed unreal. Uh, after the incident at the store, uh, which was on a Wednesday, early Sunday morning, about 2.30, I heard the people talking about what happened at the store. I said, you got two, kid, two guys here from Chicago and want to talk to the fat boy that did the talk at the store. And right away, having been raised, my formative years were spent in the South, and I was well entrenched in the ways and worries of the South. I started praying. I said, God, these, we're getting ready to die. These people are finna kill us. I know people have been killed before. Uh, people have been hung down the street from my uncle. Little my daddy had to sleep with his gun. Overnight, nobody came. Nothing came of it. And I knew where I was. And I just said, I'm getting ready to die. So I just started praying. And when death is imminent, it, you just uh, think of all the bad things you've ever done. And I knew it's not in good standing with God. So I just started saying, God, if you just let me live, I'm going to do right. I didn't call my grandfather. I knew he could not help me in Mississippi in 1955. So um, they um, didn't know what room I was in. As dark as a thousand midnights, you couldn't see your hand before your face. And there's large uh, landowner's home, former landowner's home. And then they hear him coming, I heard him coming my way. And then they walk with a pistol in one hand and a flashlight in the other. I'm shaking like a leaf on a tree. And I close my eyes, just thinking this was it. I'm going to be shot. And of course, they uh, went by me. And I woke up, they were passing by me. And they went to the third room. Um, they got, found Emmett in bed with my Uncle Simeon, who was 12 years old. And uh, they aroused him up, and I think he would have put his socks on. It was just pure hell in that room, and just uh, the the atmosphere was just uh, thick with uh, terror and fear. And uh, they, I think he finally got his shoes on, and they left with him. My grandmother tried to pay them, and my grandfather begged him not to take them, and uh, that was the last time we saw him alive. And finally, in 1998, we have James Byrd Jr., a black man who was tied to a truck bumper and dragged until he was both dead and decapitated by three white men in Jasper, Texas, prompting the expansion of the Federal Hate Crimes Act in the Matthew Shepard and James, Bo James Byrd Jr. Act in 2010. So that's a lot of heavy history that I wanted to just spend a little bit of time with our audience as a reminder that when things like what happened last week when the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act was signed into law after a three-year hiatus by President Joseph Biden last week, it's a big deal. It's not symbolic. It matters. In 1998, in 1955, in 1906, thousands of other instances we could have spent our time talking about. And that's a, the little bit of progress that we have. And we know next month as well, um, based on the announcements of three Republican senators yesterday, uh, Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson will be sworn in as the first black woman on the Supreme Court of the United States with a bipartisan support. Yeah, and um, to the point of the uh, anti-lynching 
Act, the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act. Um, for those that are unaware, that was raised for a vote more than a hundred times. So you would ask yourself, you know, why is it that our politicians um, on an issue that has nothing to do with economics, on an issue that has nothing to do with getting people out to vote per se, on an issue that has nothing to do with, I mean, an issue that has everything to do with how a crime is committed, period. That That's it. We are not, they consider George Floyd to be a modern day lynching. That's what it was said. And it, I appreciate your putting in James Byrd, 1998, vividly remember that incident, hearing about the truck, where I was, where I lived. I vividly remember all of that because I could not believe that in 1998, people were willing to chain a man to the back of a vehicle, drive and dismember his body, bouncing behind a vehicle on a road. Parts of his body sprung over a mile and a half area, if you will, three mile area, if you will. George Floyd was considered a modern day lynching, and it took more than 100 attempts to get them to pass this legislation. You have to ask yourself, what person is going to stand in the way of a bill that that does what it's supposed to be doing? So I appreciate your taking us through history and connecting 1904 and before to 2022. So I, I thank you tremendously for that. Uh, enough, enough so that we should take a quick break. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. So our Her Voice segment uh, is where we amplify women that are making moves. We'll absolutely end. And, you know, quite frankly, the show is still positive but we'll end on an even more positive note. First up, Michelle Bullock is now deputy governor of Australia's Reserve Bank, putting her in line to likely be the first woman to run that institution. So shout out to you, Ms. Bullock, from us over here. And a collective drop goes to the Women's Tennis Association for partnering with San Francisco-based startup Modern Health to address mental health challenges 
among athletes. Under the partnership, athletes will have access to mental health coaches and therapists in Modern Health Network and a Women's Tennis Association sponsored video series featuring testimonials from some of the top players in tennis on the importance of prioritizing good mental health. And we, and we wanted to also shout out Don Godbolt, Godbolt um, that's spelled G-O-D-B-O-L-T, Don Godbolt. She was appointed Director of Health Equity at Maven Clinic. Shout out to you, Don. And finally, the U.S. Navy will name a ship after the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The USNS Ruth Bader Ginsburg is meant to honor the legacy of the justice left for women, including women of all backgrounds, experiences, and talents serving within the Navy ranks side-by-side -side with their male, sailor, and Marine counterparts, the Secretary of the Navy, Carlos Del Toro. Found that story over on NPR and well, well deserved for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Our quote this week is, I love the fact that there are so many different cultures and people from all over the world. And I think that makes Anchorage a very rich city, a very rich city. That was said by Heather Barber, a lawyer and leader in the local Muslim community. She's talking about Anchorage, Alaska. And I bring that up because Ramadan started on April 1st. And if you missed it, you, there's still time to absolutely ask about employees inside of your organization that may uh, celebrate Ramadan, that may participate in, you know, what happens during that, uh, I wanna say month, a little more than month long uh, festivity. And I actually put up a LinkedIn post and it wasn't mine, it was from Asif Sadiq but I reposted it on my LinkedIn and he said some inclusive language during the month of Ramadan. So one of the things that you can do, instead of saying, you poor thing, it must be so difficult for you, you could try saying something like, I have so much admiration for your commitment to your faith. There's a variety of ways for us to say things like, instead of saying, it's going to be difficult to accommodate time off for you, you might consider saying, I know how important it is for you to have this time off. I will try my very best to accommodate. So we'll share the full link in the show notes, but make sure you help celebrate those in your organization that are celebrating Ramadan. And another resource before we get out of here is uh, Dr. Tana Sessions. She has a course over on LinkedIn. It's free, free free until April 29th. It focuses on the various biases, the bias spectrum. I peeked at it. Uh, I kind of darted in, you know, one course might be two minutes and 33 seconds. Another one is like three minutes and 10 seconds. The introduction is 27 seconds. So go over there and take a look at it. It's free. We'll put the link in the show notes. Dr. Tana Sessions looking at the various biases that can show up in our hiring and or leadership practices. So no name drops this week. So I'm going to close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe. Find your voice. Be a better fucking human. And let's create better cultures, teams, and workplaces. For now, Torin and I are ghosts. See ya!
you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.